Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. The Athletic. Porsche Processions present points party for Pascal. Bird and Buemi back at the sharp end in their 100th race. Tenacious Tictum claws point, but isn't feline totally fine. And Gunter the Shunter creates spare parts junter. Hello and welcome to the Race Formula E podcast. My name is Jack Nichols. I am the commentator on Formula E and I'm joined by the races man in the paddock, Sam Smith. And a man who was with me at the first ever Formula E race, our resident Formula E expert, Andrew van der Bergt. And it was a dominant weekend for Porsche in Diria. And everyone is very, I don't know, is everyone very surprised about it, Sam? It was certainly quite remarkable. Yeah, I think when you consider where they were in Valencia and the fact that people were thinking they might be in trouble, then yes, obviously everyone got a little bit hoodwinked. I don't think there's anyone who thought Porsche would be at the sharp end and displaying this kind of dominance, but it was... Uh... Sniffer, when you, say, when you say people thought they were, you know, in trouble, those people were Porsche, right? Like, it was, it, they thought they weren't in a good place after, after Valencia. It's not just us misreading the times, right? Well, yes, yes and no, because Porsche are always the first to say Valencia doesn't really give you a, a good indication of what's going to happen. And they, don't forget, they were the first manufacturer to be on the ground and doing big miles back in June when they got their test and development car. But it's still a surprise, definitely. I think, you know, even the drivers were telling me that they were pleasantly surprised with with what they had. But when you've got a new rule set, it doesn't manifest itself anyway until you're in a competitive environment, add a variety of tracks, and Mexico and Diria are completely different tracks. And the fact that it works so effectively there is, yeah, portentous, I would say. For, the, for their competition, because it was so vast on so many levels, particularly traction and particularly the minimum speed stuff. So, yeah, I think we'll come on to that in a bit in detail, but how they applied it was was pretty impressive. Andrew, does portentous mean like scary or ominous or something? I've never heard it before. <laughs> I think it's, uh, uh, yeah, an ominous sign of things to come. Um, it's nice to be on uh, as a guest. Jack and to be answering questions rather than having to sort of try and keep where, where, track of where we are in the script and uh, worrying about stuff like that. Um, talking of early days of Formula E, it reminded me very much of that first season two race in Beijing where Boemi and Prost disappeared up the road in that uh, in, the, in the Renault E dams. The way that uh, Porsche and Verline in particular were able to sort of bend the race to their will uh, almost on a lap by lap basis so that maybe that's the portentous bit <laughs> yeah that that season two uh year there were a lot of polls for sebastian buemi and and nico prost although buemi ended up not taking a lot of polls because he had um his brakes rusted didn't they when they were in the in the freight oh, yes. from from because yeah. he had those lockups in punta and buenos aires and the sand from punta had got into the brakes and rusted them and that's why he struggled in qualifying uh, until the end of the season but uh, right so how were porsche so fast they finished because it's not only porsche right it's jake dennis verline won both of the races from uh, the first one from ninth on the grid but dennis came through as well in the avalanche andretti to finish second in both of the races, again, with a Porsche powertrain. Verline and Dennis have shared first and second in the first three races. That's the first time that's happened in Formula E history. Why, uh, why are they so quick, Sam? And why can't anyone else get on top of it? And also, I say they're quick. They're not over one lap, particularly. Okay, Dennis was in the in the final on the front row in in Mexico and and was strong in qualifying in in Deria in in race two, but it's not like they're wiping the field clean over one lap. 
I mean, mostly it was just how they applied the, the, the traction and their power that they had, their powertrain. If you watch Sam Birds on board, when he was trying to keep up with Verline in race one at Duria, it was visually evident that the Porsche was just night and day ahead on traction and minimum speed efficiency. I think what has happened is that at a certain stage of the development, it became obvious that actually a heavier motor package is particularly of a benefit to apply the rear traction of these cars and optimise how the rears, the rear tyres generate grip. Some manufacturers were able to adapt super quick, and Porsche was certainly one of them. And it clearly chose that because their massive technical resources within their factory at Stuttgart and, and Vizac, uh, they've got huge capabilities there. Fundamentally, because the car is um, lighter than the Gen 2 design and has 100 kilowatts more power, the design architecture of the powertrain cluster, which is generally, but not exclusively, the motor, gearbox, an inverter package, getting the traction right is just the biggest challenge. So the powertrain design is more important than ever in Formula E. And so the rear suspension, so too the rear suspension design, which has some parameters of openness. So that's super crucial as well. This is where the tiny margins, through what you call a combination of powertrain design and vehicle dynamic um, optimization, are being won or lost. And clearly Porsche are winning massively at the moment and exploiting this. Interestingly too, which no one's really picked up on, I think, this year, is the fact that the cars are running drive shaft torque sensors, which are essentially there to police any use of a ZATS traction control, which although not proven in the Gen 2 era, certainly was used. You remember those code words for, um, they were usually female code words that sounded like they were carry-on characters like Mabel and, uh, and Gracie, I think. <laughs> so, you know, that's what that was all about. They're using these torque sensors um, now, which actually derived in the WEC and we used last year. Now, whether or not this has had any effects uh, for the team, no one yet knows. But for some, it could be a hundredth of a second here or there, which potentially could be why we are seeing these bigger discrepancies uh, in race pace too. Ironically, the one crumb of comfort for the non-Porsche packages, what they have is that on braking, they are quite a bit out. You mentioned it just before, Jack, especially to the Nissans, Jaguars and Neo-powered cars. But crucially, at Deria, at least this is where Verline and Dennis were, were getting through to the duels on the Saturday, uh, not on the Friday. But actually, they already proved that their advantage was so great anyway by their performance on Saturday. Unless you were outside the top 12, as DaCosta and Lotterer were, then because there was this open goal at T18 with the overtaking area, which is a long straight followed by a braking area, then it really didn't matter too much. Such was the advantage that the Porsche 9, uh, what's it called? 99X Electric had. I had a very quick chat with Porsche's um, project leader, Florian Modlinger, who touched on just why Porsche was so quick last weekend. I think it was from the team also everything well compacted. When you see from qualifying the setup changes we did for the race, anticipating the track conditions in the correct way, uh, giving him a strong pace and a strong setup, making the right calls. And when you see the pictures, especially the factory was what he could uh, set the corners very well, uh, stay close to the car in front. And this made also the overtaking possible because if you miss traction out of the corners, you cannot stay close and then you will not be there at the end of the straight. So we're saying, Andrew, Porsche are quick, Porsche are quick. It's only one car in each team that's quick at the moment. Verline's got 68 points. DaCosta has six points after the first three races of the season. Dennis has 62 points. His teammate at Andretti, Lotterer, has 14. So... Uh, obviously, some of it is the Porsche powertrain. How much of it is the drivers? Because, you know, you can't knock De Costa and, and Lotterer. No, it's stark, isn't it, the difference? And, and unusually slow. So, and two drivers who you wouldn't normally expect to be off the pace of their teammate uh, in such a way. Um, I think a lot of that can be put down to the switching tyres. And clearly, um, the Hankooks behave in a very different way to the Michelins did. Um, De Costa was obviously an ace at, at driving those cars and Lotterer to a slightly lesser degree. Um, and as we know, sort of running and mileage is slightly limited in that. And if you find yourself out of position, um, we've seen that 
overtaking in these cars isn't quite as easy as the other ones, although if you've got a Porsche, seemingly it's a bit <laughs> easier than this for anybody else. But even so, when you're in the pack, that's when things happen. That's when De Costa finds himself getting involved in turn one skirmishes and in the wall and, and all those sort of things. I would be uh, cautioning against writing them off this early, um, clearly when they get their head around the, the, the desire of those tyres. But, I mean, he's given Verline a hell of a head start to Costa. Um, I, so, I can't imagine he's particularly happy uh, being that far behind already. And also, and we talked about this some in the, in the podcast last year, the way the calendar works with so many races coming thick and fast in the early part of the season i'm i've absolutely no doubt that the other teams will find their feet will get around the cars and will find the pace but when right the 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 race the gaps between the races is so small and slight that there's not really much opportunity for them to do anything in terms of sort of developing their cars even if it's just in the sim so these early advantages that uh, porsche airline and, and andretti and dennis have you know, can be really built on and, and the basis of their title assault. So, yeah, they've almost had a perfect start. And I have to say, it's a, it's a little bit like people feared when Porsche came in for Gen 2, but it never materialised. But it's absolutely yeah. now what I think a lot of people feared back then. Just to, just to add, if I can, very quickly, on Da Costa and Lotterer, I think Da Costa's got, not that he would offer excuses, but he's, there is more to suggest that he needs bedding in time with the new manufacturers. Buemi said the same thing, actually, that going from one culture to another, in even practically just learning the manuals and the dash system and all the little quirks you need that they all hone to the nth degree, is just taking a few races to kick in. So I think I think both of them, as, as uh, V2B said, will you know will be back in the uh, at the Sharpen very soon. These were two circuits, Mexico and Doria, where there's been plenty of Formula E races, seven in Doria, five, I think, in Mexico or something like that. Plenty, plenty. How how much difference does it make? How much hope can other teams have that we're now in a run of three races, Hyderabad, Cape Town and Sao Paulo, where there's pretty much no data based on you know the last few years? A, a Porsche just nailing that part of things and actually Hyderabad in, in a couple of weeks will be a, a much more even playing field? I mean, my my opinion is that not really. I think if you've got a really efficient car and you've got pace and you've got, I mean, the only weak spot Porsche have is the aforementioned braking, um, but they are so far ahead on the traction and the the minimum speed requirements and the overall efficiency that um, yeah, I, you know, this isn't this is this is real. This is a hierarchy which has developed super quick, and that hierarchy is stark. Um, it's Porsche powered cars and they will continue to evolve that as well. So it's, it's now going to be that, that complete loop of optimization, but Porsche are several steps ahead at the moment. So even though we're going to have this kind of reset with Hyderabad, Cape town and Sao Paulo coming up in the next what five weeks, I think, you know, I don't see that being enough. Um, so I think, Porsche will be super hard to beat, and that, you know I'm not going to say they're going to win every race, but they can certainly, you know, they're going to they're going to need to extend their trophy cabinet. Let's say. So, is is a Porsche powered car winning the championship this year, VDB? Uh, I mean, it's a little bit too early to say for definite, but I wouldn't be putting my money anywhere else. <laughs> uh, I, think, I think that would be a triumph of optimism over reality. Um, I was just going to say, you know, Formula E tracks tend to all be built um in a similar sort of way so unless one of them has some random generator like a tempelhof track surface there's no reason why a car that goes well on one track wouldn't go well anywhere else obviously the team has to dial it in and a lot of people it is down to the drivers and how quickly they can learn a circuit and whatever but the quality of the field now you wouldn't think that that's going to be much of a differentiating factor but no i i mean i'm not writing the whole season off just yet but it is an ominously strong start from both uh, Porsche and Andretti. So to the point that Pascal Verlein and Jake Dennis, if neither of them finish or score any points in Hyderabad, they will still be first and second in the championship, no matter what Sebastian Buemi in third or Sam Bird in fourth do. And it was nice, you know, as we are the retro people, V2B, there at the first race, you know, Sam couldn't be bothered to turn up till round three, I think it was. Um <laughs> Uh, it was nice to see the old guard, you know, back fighting at the front, both in yeah. their 100th race. Buemi taking a pole, his first pole 
since uh, New York, I think it was a few years ago. Bird back on form after just an abysmal. There was a lovely moment from Bird actually when uh, Nikki was interviewing him after qualifying, and she said, "Oh, you know, the driver makes you know. Oh, you have to be a good driver as well, or something." And Sam said. Uh, I'm not sure about that. Did you see me last year? So, you know, he, he's a nice self-effacing, you know, he knows how how miserable last year was. And then Mexico was horrible, but a, but a third and fourth in Diria was was nice to see. It was great to see. And, and to be honest with you, I was slightly concerned for Bird, especially because his fall from grace, you know, he'd always been a factor. I think most of the championships, he'd still been in the hunt going into the either the last or penultimate round and the famously won a race every season and then just barely turned up last year. You wouldn't have really known he was there, especially with yeah. Evans up at the front. But Amy, because he was performing so well in sports cars, you sort of thought, you know, there's something not clicking behind the scenes here. You know, it's not maybe a fresh start would give him a, 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 a re-energization, let's call it. And that's that's clearly been uh, the case. And it's great to see them both up there. And obviously we had Degrassi in round one putting it on pole. It's, it's season one all over again. I go back to my original point. It's, it's deja vu. <laughs> Nelson yeah, PK exactly. will be back soon. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he will be. I think he's, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this. He's going to be in uh, some of the races as, as my co-commentator. That yeah. was your cue. I, d- I don't know. <laughs> Did I say that last race? Did I say on the last podcast? I can't remember. It was certainly it was certainly in, in the social sphere, so it's a, it's an open secret. If it is, oh, fine, it's a known thing. I never know what I'm allowed to say and what I'm what I'm not allowed to say. Uh, something I've been told to say is Sam Buemi was good, wasn't he? It was very erudite of you there, Jack. Yeah, nice uh, link to that. <laughs> yeah, it, was, it was a nice feel good story, wasn't it? It's great to see these guys. Um, back at the forefront and you know as, as VDB said Boemi didn't forget to drive all of a sudden and he was you know he took care of Cassidy didn't he at the weekend so Bird similarly he had the upper hand upper hand on Evans so it was all it was all good to see I think Boemi particularly one of racing's most passionate and um, just visceral performers isn't he on and off the track you know he, he wears his heart on his sleeve he's such a great driving force I spoke to Sylvain Felipe his new team principal and he was just wowed by the amount of commitment and drive that Bohemi brings to a team so it's all good stuff you know Seb actually described to me how he could have actually got more from his package uh, last weekend and got some even better results um, he's, he's he's gelling still a bit like De Costa he's gelling with this team he's learning th- things uh, hand over fist and, and his, I think after his season 8 travails with Edams it's, he's just finding it so refreshing to be at the front of the field as he explained to me just after the second race on Saturday I feel like uh, today I've, I had a, a good car but I did not I mean drive well yesterday I didn't have such a good car and I drove quite well um, yeah, today I got really unlucky at the start. Kras didn't really start well, even though he was on the right side. And then I got basically completely blocked by him and Verline came on the outside, then pushed me wide in 19 and I lost the second position to Mortara and there was nothing I could do basically. I should have started less good, you know, and then it would have been better. But the fact of, oh, a bit far, uh, even a bit better than I would have passed Kras, but I was just at the wrong place at the wrong time and you don't want to bend wheels anymore with those cars, so I had to give up to not damage the car. Then, then I lost a lot of time behind um, behind Mortara, and because I had Dennis behind for a long time, I was trying to defend. And so again, instead of just saving the energy, I was kind of defending. But then I did a few changes on the steering wheel, and I found a lot of pace at the end. It's so interesting, you know, it's so different from what I've been used to for for eight years that sort of change of a team really does you know do something i i i suppose even though the car is different also but he seems to be adapting very well and i think that he was strong he i was actually quite strong last year I, I i thought season seven was terrible and roland obliterated him but last season he had the he had the handle over gunter fairly comfortably i think broadly speaking so it is nice to see buemi uh back at the back at the front of the field mclaren Let's move on to Neon McLaren, a pole position for Jake Hughes in only his third race. They couldn't really do much in the in, in the races, though, Sam. Yeah, I mean, they're not obviously no one is. They're <laughs> close to Porsche, so they're in that next strata below them. But even that, I think when you consider they only put half an hour of running on their car before they went to Valencia, 
And yes, it's a cut and paste, really, of the old Mercedes EQ team. But still, I had a, a HQ transference to, to Bista uh, from Banbury to uh, Bista, sorry, Brackley to Bista. And they, you know, they everything is completely new, but they've got this kind of template of operational and technical performance, which they've they've plugged into for this new project with neon mclaren i i thought hughes in particular was just sensational you know he, he 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 has been i think there's a good case to say that he has probably been the most impressive rookie in his first two performances i mean i could probably Vern right at punter in of 14 when yeah, he grabbed that, that pole that kind of doesn't count because it was the it was the third race of the championship yeah. you know what i mean it's like like it was amazing don't get me wrong and it was remarkable but we're in such a different well I could have turned up in punter the third race of the season and had a solid enough run. You know what I mean? Because the competition well, that's what Sam did, wasn't it? He turned up in yeah, exactly. <laughs> the competition was nowhere near. No, but, but, I mean, yeah, to get a pole in your debut as, as Jeff did was was pretty impressive anyway. But yeah, yeah. You know, Brast put a mediocre Mexico behind him, didn't he? And um he was strong. I think Rast is um, is a probably in that dark horse bracket this year. I can definitely see him. If McLaren are going to win a race at the moment, you know, Hughes, you would say, would be the man to to do that just from the fact that he's not qualified any lower than third in his three Formula E races, his first three Formula E races. But just something, there was a little twinkle in Rene's eye, actually, when I spoke to him in the uh, the media pen after that second race. He, he actually got a little bit of luck with a safety car and dragged some energy back when he'd overspent early doors. But then he had such a good run. He just looked really, really on it. Capitalised on Sandberg's slight turn 18 error when he looked like he was going to he was gonna catch him and pass him. But uh, as Rene says here, super delighted to get this first podium for McLaren. And, and I think he believes that after a few more races that they can, uh, they can be the, the ones who take the challenge to Porsche potentially. Very, very, very delighted. Um, I think those boys and girls have deserved it. Obviously, it was quite a transition uh, from last year to this year. Uh, but I'm just impressed by the your work ethic and how they execute. So it's really on a high, high level. And uh, for sure, they, they deserved that one. They they had a very good day today. It was pole position from Jake, which was uh, amazing. And then, you know, somehow we pulled it off in, in the race. Uh, obviously, a bit lucky with the safety car towards the end. Yeah. But still, um, it was a tough one against Sam, defending with more energy in the back. So, yeah, very happy. It looked at one stage to be a kind of impossible podium because Sam was yeah. had so rich on energy. I mean, yeah. were you feeling that pressure? Were you aware that he had much more? Yeah, yeah. yeah, they told me that he has uh, 3% more. But at the end of the race, um, due to the safety car, the race got much quicker. So our lift-off points um, were quite short only. Um, and obviously, if, if it's almost a flat-out race, even if you have more energy, it's, yeah. it's very tricky to pass. Yeah. So this obviously ruined a bit his race uh, because without the safety car, he would have been on the podium easy. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, sometimes you need to be lucky. So here's my question for you, Andrew. I'm a big fan of Jake Hughes. think he's great. Lovely guy. He's been really, really impressive. He out-qualified Rene Rast in both races, finished behind him in both races in Daria. Rast is kind of famously not quick over one lap. I remember when his last season with Audi, they were like, if you qualify in the top eight, you'll be on the podium. But he never did. <laughs> and he did once, I think, in I think he did once in Puebla, and then he finished second to Degrassi. So are we is Jake Hughes is he almost and again I'm not knocking him, but is he being flattered a little by because Rene's not that quick over over one lap, or or you know what I'm saying? Is there is there way more in this McLaren potential? Have is that Nissan powertrain actually really really phenomenal? Well, I, I think whether he's being flattered or not, I think the whole team uh, and both drivers, you know, amazing performance. Mm. I know it was the Mercedes Works team that won back to back championships, and they've got some great people there. But to do all that upheaval start a new powertrain, bring in a, a rookie driver to get these results. And let's not forget, they're in a different postcode to, to the works Nissan team. Yeah, I, I don't think that should be underestimated. Maybe Rast's lack of outright one-lap pace is flattering Hughes ever so slightly. But I think once he's got his 
um, race experience, you know, really got his energy management under control and whatever, he will start to be a bit of a factor. And, I, and genuinely, I think it's either them or Jaguar are the most likely to break this uh, run of Porsche wins. I, I, I honestly can't state how impressed I've been by the whole lot. And maybe we shouldn't be surprised, but I just think given the number of changes that are there, the speed at which they've got up to pace, Hughes especially, has been nothing sort of magnificent. And there's a long shadow as well there, isn't there, of what Mercedes EQ achieved. And I'm not saying that's a factor, but of course, when you've got to kind of recalibrate your possibilities after you've won four titles in two years. Um, so there has to be that kind of stock take of what can be achievable. And I think they're actually managing that quite well. Ian James was fairly pragmatic after the second race and, and sort of understanding that they've got to get these milestones of the first pole, first podium before they can, you know, before they can think about anything close to what was achieved at Mercedes. I mean, Nissan scored points with Sasha Fenestras in eighth position, but on the grid for the second race, I spoke to a member of the McLaren team and said, are you surprised how far ahead you are of the works team? And he's a confident man, this guy. And he said, nope. <laughs> you know, they have, they have a real belief in, in their team, but they are, they are putting the the customer the 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 factory's team to to I mean it's a really struggle for Nissan. I know they've got their first points a positive, but when you look at what the Mercedes team are doing with that with that powertrain, it's tough because it's a big year for Nissan. It's their first year as a Japanese entry and all you know one manufacturer under under one roof as opposed to being sort of an Edams collaboration. It's it's been a tough start to the year for them. I, I think actually what's underlying that is don't forget that Nissan have had changes. So the Edams situation has changed. Um, they've they're working more with um, with Alpine in Paris, and they're working more with some elements. Certainly, their development with the ART organization as well, and it's a kind of a forming, gelling this this new team around them. Uh, it's not an excuse; it's a reality. And actually, the continuity aspect has been a major part i think of of why mclaren have been have been so good you know the same old faces are there you know gary paffett franco kiketti uh, albert lau that they're they're all there and i think in formula e that is just a basic requirement before you go and hunt that performance and that's what they've that's what they've done they've really they've really taken that and they've they've made it into an advantage even hughes i suppose who is a rookie, but he's been with the team for, for two years before that. Whereas Nissan, Andrew, have two new drivers. Yeah, and with the greatest respect to both of them, you look at the depth and quality of the field and you'd struggle to rank either of them in the top half of it. So, you know, that together with all the changes that are going on, I think it's um, I think Nissan have got a big job ahead of them. Um, obviously, we've seen from... Um, McLaren's performance that there is some intrinsic pace in the in the powertrain setup there, um, but we also know in, in Formula E how long it can often take to sort of get you know on top of these things due to there being no sort of in season testing. So uh, yeah, I think they've got quite a challenging season ahead of them. It was a good drive from Fenestras though. I thought for eighth, I thought he did a really good yeah. job. Um, and people, you know, he's t technically not a rookie, is he? Because he did that race, that cameo at Seoul. Uh, no, I think I think one race doesn't stop me from being a rookie because he, he, he also didn't. He also describes it as I was in the race, but I did not. <laughs> he was like, yes, I was in the race, but I did not because he was in the horrible dragon, qualified at the back, I think, and and drove. A, you know, he did it. He did a forty-five minute plus one lap test session, yeah, basically. That's what it was. That's what it was. But and he's been put slightly in the shade by Hughes, but I expect Fenestras actually to be to get some big results this year once they've got their head around it and once the team has properly knitted together I think the um, the Franco-Argentine is that right? Is he half and half Correct. isn't he? Yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so he had, his, he had the World Cup final covered in all capacity didn't he? Um, yes. He's you know I expect him to be really strong this year and potentially start matching uh, Hughes uh, later on in the season He was raised in Cordoba in, in Argentina before uh Coming back Good to Europe. I'm just on Wikipedia. Uh, right. <laughs> so uh, the troubles for Nissan, but troubles, I mean, Sniffer, I'm expecting a, a, a three minute rant here. <laughs> so I go and put the kettle on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, if you wouldn't mind. Uh, DS Penske, man. So backstory they're the Formula E super team. DS have 
produce great powertrains, won titles. They've got the best driver lineup for me in Formula E history. Free practices, they top them, and then they don't do anything. Go. Stop the press. I've revised my opinion on DS. Uh, Q, oh. Q, Q gasp sound effects. Thanks, John. What was it before? <laughs> well, I, th- they've got a decent car. They've got a car which has got some pace, but at Diria, it just wasn't there. And they can't harness it for whatever reason. I think they have actually a real crisis on their hands. And more, the more and more I look at it, it looks like there's a fundamental weakness there somewhere. And I think it's part of their package, their their actual powertrain cluster package. If that hunch is correct and it's somewhere embedded in that untouchable two-year homologation cycle that we have, then they're in deep trouble. And Van Dorn after the second race was a very, very forlorn and frustrated uh, reigning champion. He knows that there's going to be a long season ahead, I think. We all thought that after Valencia they were the top dogs, didn't we? But they were clearly way off Porsche. And actually, there is an argument to say that not only are they up a long way from them, but they're also a fair chunk away from Jags and Vision and McLaren. And certainly over one lap pace, probably from Neo too. So all of a sudden, you're looking firmly in the midfield, aren't you, with Mahindra Nissan and their Stellantis stablemates, Maserati MSG. What is really sobering, I think, for them right now is just where they are. And, and the only chinks of light I can see uh, beyond the reliability, which they've got to get a, a proper handle on because Van Dorn's steering wheel dash debacle completely screwed his uh, Saturday. They have to look and see and, and hone what they have because it is there. It's just they can't find it at the minute. Vern's race on Sunday was so abysmal, so abysmal, he more or less gave up, and he came in 17th, I think three seconds ahead of Van der Linde, uh, with all respect to, to, to Kelvin. It's, it's his first race, and they're so far back anyway. They're, they're making up for lost time. It feels to me like DS are losing out in that motor gearbox kind of architecture, pre-homologation war that I mentioned at the top of the show, when they they honed their motors to, for them to be heavier to get this rear traction with their rear suspension design. So they have, in the words of Stoffel van Dorn, got a yeah, super long road ahead of them, I think. There's no sign of this coming, B2B, right? No, I was completely taken aback by the sort of nowheresville. I think we everyone got a buy for Mexico. Uh, I yeah. think most of us were just hoping to see how many cars got to the end of the line. I mean, it wasn't quite as um, apocalyptic as we were expecting in that very first race in Beijing where anything <laughs> three was going to be considered. I didn't know if they were going to get off the grid in Beijing. I was really stressed about that. Well, there's a parallel universe where they're still doing that warm-up lap, isn't there? <laughs> Yeah. As, as I always say to Karun Chandok, it was still his fastest lap of the race. <laughs> he was fourth in that one, wasn't he? He was good at those. No, no, he was great. He was great. Um, he was great. But yeah, I, I honestly didn't see this coming. I thought, you know, like you say, the greatest driver lineup in in Formula E history. DS with an absolutely proven record of winning championships and and whatnot. What could possibly go wrong? Well, quite a lot by the looks of it. And I think yeah. the fact that there's, you know. You can get unlucky in qualifying and not quite work out how to use the tyres over one lap, blah, 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 of course. But you want to see something in the race pace, you know, a succession of quick laps where there wasn't any traffic or whatever in the attack zone that you think, well, actually, you know, they could pull it around for the next race. I don't think there's a quick fix there, as Sam says. I could be wrong. I mean, there's some very clever people working on it, but it does look like they've got quite a long season ahead of them trying to get their head around fixing that problem. And if it really is as deep as, you know, a homologated um, design choice at two years, that, <laughs> given, given the, some of the characters in that setup, and Jeb in particular, it could be very uncomfortable for a few people. Yeah, yeah. And it, they could be the new Nissan, couldn't they, from last year? Nissan had exactly the same thing from season seven to eight. They had a, an inverter fault of some description. We don't know the detail. And they were completely stuffed for, for two years. Um, so that that can happen. That's the nature of Formula E with this dual uh, homologation cycle. But Mexico City, free practice one, Vern quickest. Free practice two, Vern second quickest. Diria, free practice one, Vern second quickest, Van Dorn fourth quickest. Free practice two, Van Dorn, fourth quickest. Free practice three, Jean-Eric Verne was third quickest. This is what I don't understand. If they were doing a Neo, which we'll get onto in a minute, where quick over one lap, but your car has no 
energy or whatever and you fall back fine 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 there's they're 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 in the top three of almost every practice session that's the baffling part if they were just slow like you know apt cooper are at the moment or or mahindra broadly speaking with the apt cooper power trainers they're probably the slowest powertrain on the grid fine but they're always there yeah i mean it's not it's not a nightmare it's not terrible but in the context of what we're seeing so far, you know, you're, you're talking, we're talk, not talking tenths, we're talking hundreds. They've scored seven hundreds points. They've scored seven points. Hundreds and thousands of tenths we're talking about. And if you're not on it for whatever reason, you don't have the race pace. As Dan Tickton found in that first race in Derry, you just, you know, you're, you're just going straight down the straight down the leaderboard. DS weren't doing that. You know, Van Dorn got into the, um, got into the duels, didn't he? And started eighth. But they just—it's just all angles. They just seem to be—they seem to be chasing something. They obviously won't tell us because they don't want people to know. But I believe it is something deep within the architecture of their design that they know they are fallible, and they now just have to work around that and get the try and get the best out of it. But to do that, you need everybody pulling in the right direction. And whereas the team operationally and technically are still exactly the same as they were with DS to Cheetah. There is now the Penske element, and that is actually quite minimal. It's Jay Penske, Nicholas Mudwi, and a couple of mechanics. But still, again, you know, the cultural change and getting everything knitted together, I think that's actually not that's actually fine. But they are really now struggling to find what this oh, they I think they know what the issue is, but how they can best adapt it to salvage something for this year because Jean-Éric Verne and Stoffel van Dorn, both champions and ultra-competitive individuals, um, as we saw with Jev, you know, Jev can occasionally go into a trough and it's a self-perpetuating spiral. And it's one that went all the way down to 17th on uh, last Saturday. Yeah, remark. Okay, so, right, simple yes or no answer. I'll start with you, Andrew. Are you expecting DS to be better in Hyderabad? Uh, yes, in race pace at least. Sniffer? No. Oh, hang on a minute. Um, better than Deree, yes, but in terms of that was the question. <laughs> what did you think? I, what did you think I meant? No, I'm just forming my own little um, uh, sub articles in this question. So, oh, okay, you're you're, I, you're creating yourself some little Daniel caveats. Oh, yeah, nice, very nice. <laughs> I think they 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 should be there or thereabouts. They could be on the the coattails of Envision uh, and, and the Jags and the McLarens, but in the context of getting anywhere near the Porsches, then no, no. And I don't see it. I don't see. I don't see the. I think the prognosis isn't great, but um, we'll we'll see. You know, I I wouldn't like to say. I think the more interesting question is: Will either Van Dorn or Verne win a race this season? And I'm I'm not as confident they will as I was before Diria. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, because Mexico felt like as as VDB said, you get a free pass for Mexico, bit of a blip, whatever, but both days in, in Diria to struggle was was very strange. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily with twenty four seven US based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep. You heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Uh, we mentioned this chap earlier on. He's becoming one of my favourite chaps in the in the paddock. Honestly, he's I I really like him, Dan Tickton. Ah, oh, yeah. <laughs> I really, really. He's just. I ended up spending quite a lot of time with him actually over the weekend because we did a formerly unplugged, you know, media thing in in downtown Riyadh, and it was all a bit delayed or whatever. So we ended up hanging out for you know a few hours. Great guy, honest guy. 
and he he's really is honest and obviously the honesty and the passion has has got him into hot water deep water big trouble whatever over the over the years but he's just so it'll give you a straight answer to anything and it, and it's fantastic and his one lap pace has been superb the neo doesn't but weirdly it's one of those where he started at the front on friday in the first race fell back and didn't score any points and then doesn't qualify well on the second day but comes forward to score points it's always weird when that when that happens v2b i think that sort of um sums up a little bit where uh neo are at the moment but it's good that they're as competitive as they've been really since um since season two so yeah uh, yeah dan's great and i i, I take uh, i take a, a dan tictum over a pr media trained robot any day of the week and i know some of his actions in the past especially when he was a lot younger mean that there are certain elements of the motorsport community that are just completely unwilling to give him a, a fair ride but i think um everyone deserves uh, a chance or two and he is a fantastically fast and aggressive, determined racing driver. You know, when he was an F2, they used to show his radio all the time. I mean, it was it was almost a building up a caricature. They never put anybody else's radio on just because he was there wearing his heart on his sleeve. And, you know, that's what that's what you want to see. Um, quite why he was slower in the race when he was quicker in qualifying and vice versa, I have absolutely no idea. And I imagine they probably <laughs> don't either. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I fully back what Vida B said there about him. I really like him, and he's he's spectacular. I mean, talk about a reflex driver. Jeez, you know when you see him on a committee. You know we we always talked about Sete Cameron. He's just as good actually on the yeah, the old uh, reflexes. But Tickton was on mega form uh, last weekend. Superb on the brakes. I mean that car, the ER9, is unbelievable on the brakes. I mean it's possibly the best I think in the field. Maybe McLaren are, are pretty close as well. And Tickton was kind of reprising some of those hairy, larry, um, pretty scary uh, Macau jaunts that he had a few years ago where he was so quick over over in Macau. And and he brought his own pet as well, didn't he? He brought a pussycat to the, uh, to, to the race as well. Twice, I think, he had a bit of a, a close encounter with a stray cat, which um, he reckons might have stopped him from getting into the duel on Saturday. Did you? Did any of you see Jake Dennis's Instagram post about that? Did you see that? No. Uh, cat on the track, I mean, it's probably got about 80,000 million views already. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it ticks all boxes, doesn't it? But, yeah. but Jake Dennis put an Instagram thing on, which was great, sort of scoffing a little bit at Tickton's, what he deemed an ex- a little excuse, and he said that his qualifying lap had been... Uh, had been compromised by a giraffe on the track, which uh, he, he sort of put a, a little, um, a little sort of cartoon piece on there. So yeah, I, I thought Tickton was was terrific last weekend. He he wasn't justly rewarded for his efforts. A, a single point must be quite frustrating. But as uh, as the man himself told me after Saturday's race, he's confident that he can actually improve with these, particularly these new tracks coming up in uh, Hyderabad, Cape Town, and Sao Paulo. It's a lot about rhythm, you know, how the race sort of pans out, where you get overtaken, when when you overconsume, when you underconsume. Uh, it, it's a very difficult category to you've got to adapt very quickly. I mean, we're our efficiency. If you look at the numbers, is you know, very, you know, very poor. I think what we did today is like I said, we maximised it yesterday, but like we definitely maximised it today. Um, it's a shame I didn't have the car I had today, yesterday. I, it was mainly just set up. I was just able to carry more minimum speeds. I had a slightly stronger front end, so the minimums were better. And the car, even in race, like mode is very, very good under braking. So they're all lifting later than me, i.e. using more power every car in front of me, or you know, being more efficient. But I just catch them under, under the brakes pretty much all the time. So I was able to stay. A lot of drivers making mistakes, and I was just able to be very accurate. Um, and that's sort of you know the efficient way to drive. So I think you know I did, I did a yeah I did a good job today to be honest. Yeah. One of the most stressed men in the paddock had to be James Rossiter on Friday, the the team principal at Maserati MSG. Both his cars in the wall and to the point where they couldn't do qualifying. Are they going to be able to do the race the next day? Both Mortara and, uh, and, and Gunter having accidents. 
Yeah, um, I mean, James was like sort of just completely bamboozled by it, wasn't it? But fast track um, lesson in team principalship. Yeah, and he, yeah. He got he got stuck in. He um, he was there till I think three o'clock. Got the uh, burgers and chips in for the for the girls and boys at Maserati. Who did a Herculean effort to get both cars. Uh, well, Edo's car for the Friday race, and then Max's retubbed and scavenged parts here and there, and scra- scrabbling together a car that was able to qualify at the you know in the front half of the grid on Saturday. So good effort from there. Yeah, Gunter just had a. I mean, if you look at the accident, you think God, something must have gone wrong. But he just took way too much speed into that corner and, and clattered the barriers. And um, but fair play to him. You know, he fought back pretty well. I think he qualified. Was it tenth on Saturday? That. You know, that's decent. When you look at the psychological, I mean, this is where the drivers earn their money, right? You know, they have that and they know they've caused an all-nighter for their crew and they then go out and, I don't know, I I would be thinking, you know, I'd just like be very careful and and conservative, but these guys are a different breed and he was just hurling the thing around and got it into 10th position on the grid. So, you know, they... It was another difficult weekend for them. Um, you always know that by the great big sort of bonfire of parts at the back of garages, don't you, at the end of the weekend? And there was a, a huge one at the back of the Maserati MSG pit. But they um, they managed to get some points with Mortara's performance and, and actually retrieved something from another super tough weekend. Kelvin van der Linde made his debut for the Apt Cupra team, filling in for, for Robin Freitz. And I spoke to him a little bit after the first race i think it was no it was i think it was after first practice and he was like yeah i have he's done so much time on the sim he's been their sim driver uh this season at apt cupra and he was like oh even then i've underestimated the thing he kind of couldn't get his head around not couldn't get his head around that's that's unfair of me to say but the biggest things he felt v to b were you have the tram lines which you just have to stay in at all times anytime you go out of that and you're done and also it was that it was that building up, and I love this about Formula E. Modern motorsport, you can kind of overdo the limits anywhere because there's runoff, and you just go into the runoff and then dial it back. Whereas Formula E, you have to you have to build up to it, and that was something Van der Linde was saying he was finding really challenging to do. You just have to build up to it, and you know that you can't go over the limit or, or you're in the wall. And like I say, that's one of the things I love about Formula E. Yeah, I mean, and I think that's what makes uh, Jake Hughes' performance even more impressive. But yeah, back, back yeah. to, to Van der Linde. I mean, he's on a bit of a hide into nothing. They're, they're clearly desperately short of track time, that team, and are really sort of, they could have done with the experience of Freins being around to help guide them in the right direction. And Van der Linde being thrown in at a deep end like that. I mean, what, what could he do really, apart from try and stay out of the wall, stay out of everyone's way and, and bring the car home? It's, it's, it's incredibly tough uh, coming in like he did there and I mean I think overall you would say he did a pretty solid job but that they yeah that is a team that that's desperately um in need of some track time yeah I didn't realize sniffer they that that I and this is this is on me I didn't realize Valencia was their first running full stop that you know Robin and uh Muller had done some laps in the in the sort of Mahindra, but I didn't realise that the the first time they got their hands on the car was was Valencia. That's how behind the curve they are. Yeah, they're really on the back foot, and that's going to be hard to claw back. Plus, they're going to these three new circuits, and actually, maybe that is the the chance to uh, make some progress because mm. no one else has got data, and it's a it's a fresh sheet of paper for everybody. But yeah, I, I thought Van der Linde was was really good. Actually, he did throw at the wall. He learned. He got some good data for the team. Um, it was actually Muller, wasn't it? Who had I think did he have a couple of shunts? So he certainly had one shunt. Uh, went yeah. off in the race. Um, and oh, he had no, he had one the day before as well, he didn't he? Um, practice, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. Missed um, qualifying, I think. Yeah, but you know, Vanderlinde, good, good, solid performance and, and something to build on. But I think Captain Cooper will be looking at the second half of the season before they can potentially join the sort of lower mid reaches of the of the field. Um, but yeah, they're a great addition to the paddock, aren't they? Um, it's great to see those guys back. They're proper racers, and that's been tested to the to the core, hasn't it? With the start they've had, <laughs> yeah. Robin's accident, and then just regrouping. But uh, yeah, solid job so far from that perspective. I said to Thomas Beermeyer, they've won so much in Formula E with Audi over the years that they need to learn how to, you know, be at the back for a bit, you know? How did uh, you take that? <laughs> uh, uh, I, 
we don't talk much anymore. Yeah, exactly. No, it was all tongue in cheek. It was all good. I think we'll, we'll find out in uh, Hyderabad. Uh, right. A few other things then, aside from the teams, we had a few complaints on the radio, Sam, about about not really being able to see in the mirrors, which is a bit of a thing with the Gen Three car. Yeah, there is tough track anyway from a just an optical position it's so you know they've got that great big what do you call it is the toboggan run or the bobsleigh run isn't it bobsleigh run bobsleigh, yeah, bobsleigh run, yeah. run copyright jay nichols that's that's a really because the funny thing is it's in the desert right that's the joke because it's like a bobsleigh oh. run but it's in the desert and so you wouldn't have a bobsleigh run in the desert so it's all nice, just funny nice juxtaposition uh, they'll be building one in neon i'm sure of it <laughs> <laughs> yeah they'll be the, the winter olympics in neon before too long yeah but it'll be it'll be in the sky it'll be in a sky made of lasers or something yeah. um <laughs> yeah I think, in terms of the mirrors, uh, it could have it could have been better. I think you know, to some extent, drivers always complain about these things, but actually, they haven't quite got the mirrors high enough on the car, so you can't see over the rear bodywork and the the rear the rear wheels and the that sort of X wing thing obscures the view. Um, we saw various incidents, as you mentioned. Uh, set of camera got pinged for for bulking uh, Verline in one of the free practice sessions and Rene Rast club at the back of Van Dorn. So it's, it's obviously an issue. And actually, you know, the safety issue is very real. Open wheel cars can easily act as launch pads when you've got different run programs in qualifying. We've seen that in some horrible incidents in the history of, of motorsport when you've got that launch sort of ramping effect. But really the teams should have been more on, they should be more on top of telling their drivers where they are on track anyway, when you've got quicker drivers on track and you're doing cool down laps. They've got these big elaborate GPS systems and they know exactly where cars are. So there's a little bit of that as well. It's not perfect. There were actually some rapid prototypes, um, new mirrors that we used in the shakedown session on, um, what was that, Thursday. So they were used, they're possibly looking at, those as um as better models for for implementing some time during the season but um yeah you know it's another again a smaller thing but it's it's part of this gen 3 um design which which probably should have been captured uh before they rocked up racing right the rear the rear view mirrors on cars as far as i can picture in my mind have effectively been the same since they were horseless carriages right? <laughs> well, why haven't, you know, in some sort of high-tech road cars now, they have cameras at the back. Why are there not yes. small cameras at the back? Of the well, there is. Um, and projecting that so they can actually see. I mean, it's ridiculous, yeah, right? Th- there's provision. I checked in the technical regs. As you know, I yeah, before I go to bed, I read the technical regulations uh, top to bottom. Um, there is provision in one of the articles when it comes to mirrors that they can use um, cameras. But I asked a few people why that hasn't been achieved yet because definitely in gt racing it, it you know they were doing it 15 20 years ago i think corvettes were running it in like 2004 or something and certainly some lmp2 cars had it some coupe so yeah it's it's a good question nobody seemed to have a have an answer for it and you've still got these daft little stalks on the side and these rudimentary mirrors it does seem a bit incongruous when you've got such a technically advanced car doesn't it but uh yeah one maybe maybe one that uh the fi will be looking at for for the gento evo potentially we need one for uh like the Tyrrell, the Tyrrells in those in the mid nineties, if they need them a bit yes. higher, that's what we. That's <laughs> yeah. what we need. <laughs> yeah, or oh, the dome sports cars, the Japanese dome sport cars, sports cars. Was it the Eiffelland as well that had those? Ridiculous- the Eiffelland, yeah, yeah. <laughs> One like for a the bit of scaffolding, yeah. bit of scaffolding, on it. <laughs> uh, lap times, lap times in Diria, uh, Sam. Is it all just tires? Well. Looking at the looking at the data, only one of the eleven track sessions last weekend was the Gen Three car quicker than the Gen Two, and that was in free practice one, where the margin was just over a tenth. Broadly speaking, it was between zero point seven and one point three seconds at the Gen. And what I would what I would caveat with that FP one was there was an extended shakedown of thirty minutes, so it sort yeah. of FP one yeah. the tr- you know in terms of track clean cleanliness, it was sure. a lot lot better than last year. Yeah. Sure, but you know it's it's there in black and white. You know, you you look at the we're going to be running a piece on this actually, and just capturing those times and and the facts of the matter. Uh, the Gen threes aren't as quick as the Gen two cars. You can't deny that. Um, the session times were identical. Um, 
that they were running in 2022. The temperatures were generally cooler this year as opposed to 2022, which, as anyone would know, would mean more favourable conditions anyway. So, yeah, it's clear that the Gen 3s are consistently slower at the moment. And um, I think in terms of why, um, as you say, the tyres is, is the predominant feature as to why they are, um, because they're harder and much more durable and also the fact that they're finding it really difficult to get the power down you know there's an extra 100 kilowatts available to them but they're finding it hard to get that laid down in in traction i think counterintuitively because of the tire yeah counter um no well just because of the dynamics of the car it's a lighter car and the ratio of the power to grip levels yes is just really hard to 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 get optimized and put into play but I, I think, I mean, no, people can't see lap time, right? I remember taking a friend of mine to the DTM race at Browns Hatch and explaining to him an F1 car be going 40 seconds a lap quicker than he just couldn't believe it. And it's hard as a, as a punter to see time, as it were. They don't, they don't look slow or slower on the telly. And I think the fact that they're having to struggle to get the power down is actually a benefit. So I'm not sure why it matters per- person- personally. Well, it does. It only matters if you say the car is going to be seven seconds a lap quicker, and it isn't, right? But the overall, it's it's completely irrelevant. So I remember when I worked there, people, how fast does it go? It's like, who cares? Well, what, what do you mean, how fast does it go? What well, in a massive straight line? Well, change the gear and it'll go quicker. It's a, it's a, well, my story. It's, it's an, it's an irrelevant <laughs> metric. <laughs> well, when, when actually, when you address this matter, does it really matter? Does it really matter? There is, there is something to say that actually. Uh, it does matter because the breed has to pro- progress. Yes, the sporting element, it's its fine. You know, the racing's fine and it's entertaining and it's all the things we love about Formula E. But the bigger picture is that for the Gen 3 Evo, which will come into being in 2025, it needs a big push to make a step because otherwise... otherwise- Formula E's never been about speed. Formula E's never been about speed. It's always been about efficiency and energy recovery etc which is which and this car has way more energy recovery it's way more efficient the batteries are way bigger there's way more power so that is in the context of formula e that is development of the breed right isn't that the whole purpose? i I agree i agree agree completely but then why the hyperbole why have you got the ceo going around telling telling everyone it's going to be five six seven seconds quicker and you know that that doesn't fit that is just you know it's, it's just wrong to suggest that um but i think just coming back to the point in terms of why you've got to push the breed and things have to get quicker in a sense is that the manufacturers that showcase their tech amid this fast-paced evolution of of formulary in correlation to the ev development we'll be seeing on the roads that's when the manufacturers might turn around and say well yeah the racing's cool and it's close and you know, crash, bang, wallop and all the rest of it. But where is the accelerated progress messaging here for us? Then if the hyperbole continues, then this sort of, you know, this grandiose nature of, of Gen 3 is going to be this amazing thing. Well, it, well, it isn't, is it? You know, it's, it's giving good racing, but so many problems associated with it. And then it's slower than the Gen 2 car. Like, I'm not saying... But we know you could, you could bolt a pair of, uh, of different tyres on there. Right, and and it would instantly go two or three seconds of that quicker, right? And last year's tires, yeah. last year's tires, whack them on quicker by two or three seconds, easy. So, so it, it, it's been it's, and you could see you could see why Hancock have to play it this way, right? The first year they've done this and whatever, they couldn't have tires that suddenly shredded up, and we you see the the the. Um, uh, counterproductive uh, PR that Pirelli got when they tried to build tyres as they were instructed that would cause these issues, right? Plus New York last year when the Michelins would basically become slicks, so they kind of weren't all weather tyres, right? Because if it rained, yeah, you were off. Correct. Yeah, exactly. And that's, you know, Which it, made a mockery of that happen. whole, oh, we can run in any yeah. conditions. Yeah, so long as they're dry. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, what? Why, 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 this, why this grandiose statement that's been coming out for the last 18 months about... The, the pace of these cars and it's going to be a game changer and we're going to have to rebuild the circuits for safety. You know, what, what was all that about? I mean, that was just a, a you know, erroneous statement. So actually, you know, the- why, why judge it? Why judge things on PR spin rather than what they actually are? Well, I, listen, going back to the racing, the racing's perfectly good and, and, and fine. But if a whole championship is directing this course 
in terms of a roadmap to 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 where they wanted to go with this car lighter, more nimble, more powerful. It's going to be faster, and then it doesn't deliver. Well, you know what do we do? Just ignore that. It's it's not it's not matching. You know, it's not matching what it was built at. And the the the, the car is lighter, more nimble, way more regenerative capabilities. So therefore, way less you know charge needed to get it to the end of the race. Those things are true. So yes, the car is slower because of the tires it's running on, which I accept is perhaps not what you know was was said. Uh, you know, fine point point taken. But it is a huge technological step forward, isn't it? Or is it? Are you saying it's not? No, I'm not saying that. I say the the basis of it is sound, and it's it's remarkable. The regeneration is remarkable, and the way they brake is is incredible. And it's you know. I, I don't like the look of the cars. The drivers don't like driving them. The teams don't like working on them. They haven't got enough spares. You know, I'm, I'm just repeating stuff that I've said in previous podcasts here. So you then sort of mould that around. It's a world championship and manufacturers are in it to improve the breed and generate extra technology or, you know, future technology and hone it so they can sell road cars. Well, you know, I see a big sort of discrepancy there. And I think that needs calling out. But the racing itself is fine. So maybe the racing and the quality of the racing will mask that. I don't know. That's up to the, you know, the, the manufacturers will get all the data and the and the feedback and the, the coordinates to, to feed into their boards and, and make future decisions. But ultimately, that's what it's about. But for sure, the manufacturers, to some extent, will be saying, well, these cars are slower than Gen 2 cars. Where, where are we getting the benefit of, of learning um, for that road yeah. transfer that, all of them talk about all the time. Do do you think Hankook will produce a softer, faster tire next year? Not next year, but for yeah, for the for the Gen Two, I think uh, for the Evo, I think they will. Yeah, interesting. It's a very naturally a very interesting topic. I don't quite understand. Yeah, well, we'll leave it there because <laughs> we'll just go around in circles. We'll save this for uh, for over a biryani in Hyderabad, <laughs> um, which we won't record, so then VDB can swear as much as he likes. Are you coming to Hyderabad, VDB? Possibly. Uh, oh, I really want. Exciting. I really want to. Um, I've got the um, Indian visa uh, <laughs> system hanging over my head, which may well be the thing that stops me. So, oh, I have no passport <laughs> currently. So we'll see whether I'm in Hyderabad. <laughs> yeah, it, it uh, might be me and you in a room with Sam over the uh, on the biryani virtually. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, I'd rather be. I'd rather not be in the room with Sam after a biryani. To be perfectly honest with you, right, Sam? Give us a roundup of some news, please. News roundup. Well. Interestingly, if you went down to the Neon McLaren pit, you'd have seen a new member of staff last weekend, Chris Dyer, who uh, engineered Michael Schumacher to a couple of his championships and Kimi Raikkonen back in 2007. Australian guy, he's been in the, the industry for 25 years now and um, he'd previously been part of the BMW DTM program. He is now, or well, he hasn't got a job title yet, but he was at uh, Diria. And uh, the presumption is that he may be taking over from Nick Chester there as technical director, but that hasn't been confirmed yet by the team. So we'll wait on that one, but he's an addition. Um, Teo Guzan has resigned from Spark, uh, so there'll be no more Teo. In the, in the paddock in that capacity, a linchpin of Formula E since the start and the chief engineer of Spark Racing Technologies, which has been so integral in, in a part. Also, the, um, the the man who did the single most impressive handbrake turn I've ever seen. <laughs> really? When, uh, yeah. When, when I, the, one of the first things I did at Formula E was get, they had two cars for the first time and uh, they'd asked me to try and get more coverage in China. Uh, so I rang up my old mate Hope in Tung and, uh, and said, asked if he fancied testing it. We went to Monte Blanco uh, and we had a camera in the car. And of course, back in those days, um, we were all getting used to the fact the cars didn't make any noise. So when he came in for lunch, one of the cameramen, Aurora, I don't know if he's still there, disconnected the mic but didn't take it out. And then as the cars went out for the afternoon running, we didn't hear them because obviously the engines weren't firing up. Uh, and as um, it wasn't him, it was a French guy who used to drive for Bentley, the name can't, I can't remember, went around the corner. The mic fused um, the battery and the car caught on fire. And Teo jumped in his hire car, did this amazing handbrake turn in the pit lane and floored it round to, to sort this car out and, and stop it 
patching fire because I only had two cars and they were supposed to be doing all the development work on it. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it was, uh, it was very impressive. I was sitting in the grandstand and I was like, whoa, what's going on? Oh, wow, that is, a, that is an impressive handbrake turn. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, Antoine Leclerc, wasn't it? The, yeah, it. yeah, yeah, he was a yeah. driver. Yeah, all sorts were tested back then, weren't they? Um, no more news. Um, I had an Uber debacle again, but you know we'll we'll, we'll do that privately. Oh, that happens in Deria. I remember me and you being stuck on that dual carriageway for about three hours, and that bloke turning up in a car that was so badly damaged couldn't get the boot open to get our suitcase. Yeah, yeah, I do. Unfortunately, <laughs> yeah, proper debacle. I went to see Ronaldo. That was fun. That was my only Deria news. Oh, actually playing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're playing. It was Al Nasser versus Al. Did he score like twenty three or something? None. They got they lost. Oh, he's worth one hundred and thirty seven million. He got yeah. I know. I was in so I was in the away end, and uh, he took a f- every time he missed or did a terrible cross, which was actually quite often. We all just started bowing down and chanting Messi. It was quite amusing. <laughs> I'm going to do the wrap up now. So Hyderabad coming up next on the eleventh uh, of. February. It's a single header, brand new circuit. Looking forward to, to getting out there. Thank you to Andrew van der Berg for joining us and to Sam Smith. You can read all of Sam's news and features on the hyphenrace.com. And we've also got other podcasts from Formula One, from MotoGP and IndyCar. Thank you very much for listening. And until next time after Hyderabad, it's goodbye from the race. The Athletic.